Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Hello and welcome to Arn. This is Paul Bromwell and today I'm joined by the Hall of Famer. That's right, the Hall of Famer, the founder of the Four Horsemen, the creator of the Spinebuster, the 1A of Tag Team Wrestling. He's my tag team partner. And as we learned a few weeks ago, the 2024 Frank Gotch Award winner. He's the enforcer. He's double A. He's Arn Anderson. Arn, how you doing this week, man? <clears throat> I'm still very shocked and humbled. You know, when you can associate your name in any fashion with Gotch, Knowing what Gotch represents in our business, I mean, those guys, brother, they would stretch you from here to there and be working with it. Yeah. And still stretching you. So I'm real, like I said, I, I'm still, I've had some really kind comments from a lot of people and I, I sure appreciate it. I'm still not sure that I belong in, in that, if I'm, that I'm worthy, but uh, I'll certainly, uh, I'll very humbly be glad to be there and accept the award. And uh, like I said, it's kind of flabbergasted. Hey, listen, it, we the outpouring of comments on social media, uh, I got some direct comments to me as well. Comments on YouTube, everywhere. There are so many people are thrilled, Arn, uh, with this recognition for you. It is well-deserved. And uh, so can't wait to be there. And a lot of people saying that they're going to be there for the ceremony uh, in the summertime. I, I can't wait. It's going to be a very special day for you and your family. I know that you plan to have Aaron and Brock attend as well. So I can't wait and just so happy for you. And we're going to talk about it as the months uh, go on, as we move throughout the spring and head into the summer. And I can't wait. Maybe uh, we'll have another guest on or two to help promote it and maybe talk about it after, after we have the big celebration. And uh, you can find out all that great stuff right here on the Arn Show. Uh, so we're really excited about it. Arn, I wanted to uh, also mention as we start to open the show, we're going to talk about all things April 1994 this week. But uh, as this show drops January the 20th on Saturday, you're scheduled to make an appearance with your son, Brock, at AML in Winston-Salem. Uh, Brock's competing the Axe of War Games, a War Games match. You're going to be in his corner. He's going to team with C.W. Anderson. You, you're very familiar with C.W. Uh, two men uh, as well will be joined in that. Terrell and Terrence Hughes, the son of Devon Dudley. Martin Stone round out that team. And on the other side of the War Games match, uh, we're going to see, by the way, coached by Violent J of the Insane Clown Posse. Uh, they're going to face off against George South. He's one yeah. of them. Yes, I said that correctly, Arn. George South, can you believe he's still going at it? Yeah, and you know what? He has turned himself into a legendary figure. He has. George is a tremendous performer. 
the fact that he has been in the business this long and toughed it out. I mean, how many times you think he's been dinged up? My goodness. He's like, he represents the business so well, just, just by his tenacity. If not, you know, nothing else. He's on the other side of speaking of legends, Ricky Morton, his son, Kerry Morton, Billy Brash and the beer city bruiser. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a good time, man. Well, some people would look at that and go, damn, the Andersons may be outflanked. You know, there's a lot yeah. of star power on the other side, young and older, you know, yeah. the veterans, uh, you can't count that team out. That's a pretty solid team. If you ask me. Yeah. Once you start talking George South, the Morton's father and son, it's going to be good. But Arn, the good news is you get to watch it from a bird's eye view outside the ring. You're not starting this war games off. I'm going to go ahead and be a little bit of an ass here and just, just say this. There is nobody more qualified to put a game plan together for war games than me. I've yes. been in more war games. I've started more war games. I've, uh, I've seen how they uh, developed and, you know, how they lost and why they lost. And, you know, those, all those W's that we always talk about. Uh, I feel like I'm in a position. This is Brock's first war games. And I feel like he's going to be really, uh, you know, uh, like a dark horse in there, man. Because each time you have a new guy bail in that cage, Paul, the reality is, the advantage goes to that team. That's right. And uh, you can really push that issue and take some of these guys completely out of the match. Guys get hurt. You know, they're stuck in that cage, but they're not a uh, barometer on how it ends because everyone has to be in the ring and then the match beyond begins. So, you know, there's no covers, there's no submissions or any of that until everybody on each team is in the match. It's going to be interesting. You better be in shape. If you're listening to this and it's before the 20th, you know, ad-free shows get access to this early. If you're in driving distance to Winston-Salem, get your ass there. It's That sounds like it's going to be an epic event. You want to be a part of it. Winston-Salem are fantastic wrestling fans in that area. And so definitely can't hype that up enough. It's going to be a great day of wrestling. And like you said, uh, if anybody knows how to construct or how to work or how to coach a team in war games, it's the enforcer, double A, Arn Anderson. So, uh, man, that's going to be good. Go ahead. Well, I don't think that I haven't put a lot of thought in this. I've already got in my head who I'm going to put in there and, and when and, it's, oh, there you go. The timing. Yeah. You know, this is not going to be a show up and we'll just see how it goes and best man wins. No, no, no. I've been thinking about this for weeks, if not months. Ah, they're in for a treat. That's for sure. Uh, hey, listen, um, also we got to mention as well, uh, the best way to support double a, the enforcer is by checking out the on and four horsemen stores and Arn, I'm going to just put it out there right now. Our guy, J.D. Hoop, is working on a design now. Coming soon to the store is a brand-new Hall of Fame shirt for you to help recognize you for your accomplishment. And uh, cannot wait to see what he puts together and makes it out to the store. Uh, but man, this is going to be the way that many fans, they keep saying, Paul, how can we be a part of it? If I can't go, what can I do? You can support our man. Uh, by purchasing one of these new shirts. Not there yet, but they will be soon. Uh, that is going to be, uh, the graphic is going to be designed by our guy, J.D. Hoop. I can't wait to see it. Well, and it's another opportunity, you know, like I said, these uh, these smaller independent shows, these Comic-Cons, these, you name it, any chance that I have to get out there, this is another chance to really thank the folks for the support for 40 years. I mean, those people that'll be there for something like this, and I'm just taking a guess, I'm assuming have been a lot of folks that have been there from, from the beginning. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I, I would think. And uh, to get to shake their hand and hug their neck and just say thank you, and this is an honor that, you know, I'm I'm, I'm very privileged to get. It's just, <laughs> it's hard to come up with words and talk about yourself. 
buddy, there are listeners of the show, listeners whose names you've become familiar with that have already reached out and said they will be there at Waterloo to, to help to witness you going into the Hall of Fame. I, I can't wait for that day. It's going to be something special. Uh, so check it out. Uh, the Horseman Store, the Arn Store, BoxGimmicks.com. Uh, the jackets are selling so well. The hats, we can't thank you enough. The jackets come in 12 different colors. You guys have heard us talk about them over and over again. Uh, the hats are in four combinations as well. And uh, listen, as Arn has talked about before, spent a few years finding the right vendor, and we finally did that. And man, the product is gold. I'm wearing uh, my horseman had every week here on the show. I love the embroidery. So check it out. If it's not for you, you know there's an Arn Anderson fan in your life, and you need to make sure you grab that merch out, merch out for, for them. Uh, Arm, with that said, uh, by the way, so a fan of yours, and this isn't even you know in the notes or whatever, in Canada, a fan of the Arn Show just tweeted, as we sit down to record this, their book arrived. The graphic novel has arrived. <laughs> thank god yep so they're arriving at every at people's homes now so i wanted to announce that here loud and proud on the show they are now arriving at people's homes so congratulations to you arn and congrats and thanks to all of our fans that have been patiently waiting for this we hope that you love and enjoy it boy have they i mean it's thank you so much you know yeah. and and i want good or bad Please, good or bad, tell the truth, because we tell the truth on this show, sometimes to a fault. Um, let me know what you think when you get a chance to read through it and give us some feedback. Tell us what we could have did better, because, you know, that's the only way that, that we know what you guys like. This show is for the fans. There you go. Well And said. it's always been for the fans. That's right. That's right. And uh, Arn, speaking of this show and it being for the fans, why don't we jump in and tell the fans a little bit more about your career and what was going on in 1994. Uh, so let's get started this week. What do you say? Sounds good to me, buddy. All right, let's do it. Last week, we discussed March 94, Arn, and we talked about the fallout from Super Brawl, the European tour where Cactus lost his ear the matches you were having with Diamond Dallas Page, and we kicked off the show talking about the rumored, at that point, arrival of Hulk Hogan to WCW. And that is where we're going to pick up this week's show. Uh, as we discussed last week, officials inside WCW felt they were close to closing in on that big deal with Hogan. And we're going to jump into the Observer. As we mentioned last week, we're going to do a little bit more of that research from Dave. And on the 18th, April 18th, 1994, Wrestling Observer, Meltzer reported the following. He says, there was a lot of talk all weekend that WCW officials expected to come in agreement early this week with Hulk Hogan and uh, the subject of several news reports on April 11th and 12th in the New York market. If the agreement is finalized before the weekend, it's expected there's a good chance Hogan would be in Chicago for the Spring Stampede pay-per-view show that has been strongly hinted on WCW telecast. The Hogan hype has been amazing. Remember, this is all Dave writing. If only because the company has already started making Hogan the centerpiece of its company before it even assigned him. Uh, it's, he goes on to say, uh, with knowledge that Hogan's release from Titan sports gives them the legal option to match any offer and prevent him from accepting the WCW offer. So Titan is still at play here Arn. they have the ability to match any WCW agreement, uh, and, and kind of block Hoke from, from, from signing with WCW. Uh, so this is somewhat of a unique situation here. WCW is, is freely mentioning Hulk on television and on an episode of Saturday night prior to spring stampede flair says, Hey Hulk, if you come, I'll pay for your seat, a front row seat. So you can watch me Russell's steamboat. And, and he's not even signed with the company at this point. What do you think of the, of the company teasing Hogan like this when, Hey, he's not even signed. I mean, you know, I know they're trying to build to that pay-per-view audience. Do you think this is a, a cool tactic, a good tactic? Well, for that time, that just was unheard of. Yeah. I mean, you know, first rider for refusal. To, is that a real thing? I think that's what WWF had, right? They did. They did. And I'll talk a little bit more about the contract here in a moment, but yeah, they did. 
which you'll know more about than I am. I just remember that term, you know, first right of refusal, which means, okay, his contract ran out. He can, they can make him an offer, you know, but it's like there can be a bidding war now, right? Because his contract ran out. His, uh, uh, and I'll go ahead and, and just give a quick preview here because of his, re- his release, the way it was from Titan, even if Hogan agreed to a deal, it would be 21 days after that point before he could legally sign a contract because t- Titan has 21 days to match the offer. And if Titan matches the offer, Hogan's still couldn't sign, which is why the offer is said to have included some amazing revenue percentages of merch and pay-per-view revenue. It They made the offer so good, WCW, that there was no way that Titan would match it. That was their play. Can you imagine in that boardroom with WWF, them actually saying, well, he's not worth that. Uh, and I think after that, after the career that he had had up until that point, I mean, it's it's almost surreal, isn't it? It is. It is. And again, you got to remember too, coming off the steroids trial, and Vince maybe finally making the decision. Decision ninety four. You know, hey, I'm going with the youth movement. Bret Hart. He's going to be my guy. So all this is kind of happening at the time. WCW and Eric steps up and says, Hey, I'm going to make this deal so lucrative that it really makes, you know, Vince second guess combating us. And so Vince said, sure, go for it. You, you want to pay all that money, have at it and see what you can do. Well, and he must've, he being Vince had already decided he was going to go with the youth movement. Yes. And it's like, when you commit to letting Hogan go to the opposition uh, and various other guys eventually that were his friends and his comrades move over, you know, change companies. Um, it, uh, it must've been a okay for damn sure. We're going to go with a different slant here. We're going to go with the youth movement. And he was already committed hundred percent. So a few things I want to talk about with you here. So Meltzer mentions revenue percentages of merchandise, pay-per-view revenue opportunities. Uh, He goes on to say the belief is Hogan would still be able to appear on WCW pay-per-view and television events, just not wrestle on them before officially signing, which is the key for Sunday's Spring Stampede show. The current timetable seems to be that he wouldn't wrestle until the 717 pay-per-view show against Flair anyway. But uh, at this point, you know, what did you think of that? We talked about it, the release clause. I mean, and the revenue, paying pay-per-view revenue share. Have you ever heard of anything at this point in your career in April of 1994 for that, for a wrestler, revenue share? You know me pretty well by now, right? Oh, yeah. We're we're friends. We are. but But you're a smart guy. You've done your homework. Yeah. You understand the way things are. I was just a guy that went to the ring, had a match, did what was asked, and got a payoff for it. You, you carried your lunch pail to the ring and the paycheck at the paycheck window every Friday. Blue collar. That's right. You know, I was, and, and maybe to a fault, maybe I was just dumb that I didn't ask more questions. It's not like I didn't understand the business, you know, and the, but those type numbers and those type dealings was Latin to me, buddy. It was over here. It was flying up there above the head. <laughs> and, you know, be honest with you, I've always felt this. I never ask anybody what they made. I wouldn't appreciate anybody asking me what I made because it's none of anybody's business. Fair enough. If you, if you cut a side deal and it's through the roof, good for you. And, and I guess too, when you hear pay-per-view, you know, split of merch, major splits of merch, major splits when the pay-per-view revenue. And to your point, you weren't really even paying attention to this back then, but I guess if we look at it in hindsight and look at it now, uh, did you think at that time though, Arn, that Hogan could and was worth as you sit here and think about now all that money? Are you, do you think it was a wise decision back then for Eric to put those terms in a contract to bring Hogan in. It's easy for us to say now, oh yeah, NWO, everything that came of it. But I mean, you know, let's kind of block that out of our mind if we can. 
If you want to know the truth, and yeah. if I can remember and my mind will will save me here, I must have had the thought that I don't know that anybody's worth that. It's a lot of money. And I, I was aware of, you know, who Hulk Hogan was. I'd been in the ring with him, you know, prior to that when he was at his hottest. And, you know, he double clotheslined me and Tully over the top rope, you know, in the match that we're in with him, you know. Um, I was aware of who and what he was, no doubt, no doubt. But still, that's, you know, my gosh. That's mind-numbing money. And, and to be fair, Arn, Hogan looks different now, right? The steroids, he's a lot leaner. Uh, this is a different decade. Some of that shine from the 80s momentum that he had with Vince. It, you know, he's still Hulk Hogan, but he looks different. Some of that that charm, especially me, as you know, when I think of a child of the 80s, this is this is a different Hulk Hogan a little bit. Feels different. The music's different. So it does feel like a gamble. Well, now you're talking about it as a fan. Yeah. Not, not as a co-host of uh, where we're looking at the inside stuff. You're looking at this as a fan, and uh, because you have to look at it differently. You know what yeah. I mean? He was not the the 300 pound Hulk Hogan. Mm-mm. He was not the guy that you saw in the Rocky movie. No. Um, and sometimes when when you're so I guess, you know, the thing with Vince, all of his guys were superheroes, you know, and when your body changes drastically like that, you're not a superhero anymore. You're still Hulk Hogan, but you're not this 300 pound guy that just steamrolled every monster heel that you had, because that was the way the structure was. You would bring a a heel in a monster, a one man gang, whoever it was, these monster heels and Hogan would get rid of them, squash them, cream them. They were yeah. done walking in the door, 40 pounds lighter or 50 pounds lighter. I don't know what it was, even though he was still in shape, he's still tanned, still had all the charisma and he's still Hulk Hogan. Somewhere in the back of your mind, you got to be going, what's different. Yeah. He looks different and no doubt about it. You, you knew he was, he was not the same massive largest arms in the world you know the, the flex and the impressiveness and and that's too ultimately why i think think arn and we'll get as we continue to walk through your career and wcw days that's why the move and transition of making him heal was so genius those days were behind him as far as the red and yellow super fit baby face and and eric figured it out they figured it out and and it and obviously turned it into one of the biggest stories ever with heel hogan and then wl Arm, we're going to pause and talk about our favorite sponsor once again this week. That's right, it's Blue Chew time. And they're here to make sure you're delivering that spine buster, putting that spine to the pine every single time the right way, and making sure you're prepared to do so. And they have a special offer for the listeners of the Arn Show. Isn't that right, Arn? Arn? Well... Guys, Arn's not around right now. I think he's taking care of business, if you know what I mean. And I want to make sure you have the opportunity to take care of business, too. Guys, Blue Chew is an online prescription service. No visits to the doctor's office. We talk about it every single week. No weird conversations. You don't have to wait in line at the pharmacy. And remember, the biggest perk and benefit of this, it ships right to your door in a discreet package. So listen, go to bluechew.com consult with one of their licensed medical providers they're just going to ask you a few questions make sure you're good your health's in order and you can take it and once they verify that it's going to be at your door within days all done online very easy and if you don't like swallowing pills no big deal the tablets are chewable very easy to consume so give it a try guys listen we hear a lot of folks that listen to our show that have reached out to us uh, directly through our show DMs and said, guys, you are spot on with what you've been talking about with Blue Chew. We have a lot of fun with it on the show, but I'm telling you, it takes away the worries, the anxiety, the stress, and helps you perform the way you want to perform, like a Hall of Famer like Arn Anderson. So there you go. Check it out. BlueChew.com can make sure you're able to perform at your very best every time 
you get the opportunity to have fun. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code ARN. That's right, just those three letters, A-R-N, at checkout. You just pay $5 shipping. That's it. BlueChew.com, promo code ARN to receive your first month free. Once again, go to BlueChew.com for more details and safety info. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. I want to continue on here because uh, Meltzer goes on to say, and this is exactly what we're talking about, signing with WCW would be a gamble because if it flops, it would damage the Hogan mystique as a draw. And most of what WCW has done in recent years has flopped. However, they have the financial resources to put big money on the table. So there would be no financial gamble for Hogan. And even in a worst case scenario, he's probably going to make huge money. So in your mind, was WCW signing Hulk away uh, away from the WWF for huge money a gamble? Or would you say, hey, we had Ted Turner's backing, so we might as well go for it? Uh, I don't know if gamble is the right word. Um, they were taking a chance. Because you got to remember also, what was... Go back from WCW to Jim Crockett Promotions, which WCW was an extension of Jim Crockett Promotions. The way we were able to compete with that company when Hogan was 300 pounds and you had all that talent, you went around and scooped up all the top guys from every territory is because we could outperform them. From a wrestling perspective, Jim Crockett Promotions, which morphed into WCW, our crew could outwork their crew. Uh, yeah. And that's how we were able to compete with the lunchboxes and all the, the marketing genius and all the stuff that they had going on. You were second from the top with amazing tag matches against the Midnight Express with Ric Flair doing Broadway matches to close out the show. And it was it was a total different experience. And wrestling fans loved it. And and that's how you competed, man. Well, and that's why you were able to have two audiences and have a, uh, you know, one be faithful to the other because they were completely different. Our, our live event shows were completely different from their shows. Our TVs were completely different from their TVs. And that's how you did it because it was different in a good way. Yeah. Yep. Great alternative. And listen, the following week after spring stampede pay-per-view where Hulk Hogan's appearance had been so heavily teased, uh, Meltzer confirmed Hulk has now signed with WCW, uh, Hogan. He says Hogan reached an agreement with WCW to sign a contract due to the terms of Hogan's release from Titan sports in late 1993. Titan has the right of first refusal on any offer given to Hogan to wrestle. Titan now has a 21-day period in which can match the WCW offer, or uh, Hogan would sign with WCW and most likely start at the 717 Great American Bash pay-per-view show in a match against Ric Flair. There is a lot of strategy involved in this because if McMahon were to believe that Hogan would refuse to come back to Titan, which would be Hogan's option, he could match the offer, block WCW from using Hogan, and it wouldn't cost him a cent. However, if Hogan would return, obviously we are talking about a multi-million dollar offer to a company that is taking severe financial hits at the present time, not to mention the situation it would create internally if Hogan were to return to the company at this point for a short period of time. So it's interesting. Meltzer rightfully points out that Hogan actually has nothing to lose with the first right to refusal clause and his release from the WWF contract. And uh, if McMahon matched the offer and Hogan accepted, he would have to pay Hulk millions of dollars. But uh, again, I can't understate it. Hulk was a planned witness for the government in the steroid trial. And you know when the data set for that trial, Lauren? 
July 5th, 1994. We're just a few short months away from that trial. Mm. So a lot of shit going on around this time period. Contracts, steroid, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, but man, it's got to say a lot. Hulk is a businessman, you know, and the way he's conducting himself and his business acumen, um, it's, 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 you understand why so many wrestlers connected themselves or hooked themselves to Hulk throughout his career. Well, it's, it's crystal clear. He's the smartest guy in the history of the business on how to market himself. Oh, absolutely. How to let everybody involved in the bidding war know just how important he is. He was great self-promoter here. Uh, here's some numbers on. So you said you never really got involved in numbers and wanted to know anybody else's numbers, but we'll, uh, we'll have fun. Meltzer reported no terms have been released on Hogan's deal. Although the new England sports network ran a story on Hogan agreeing to a deal as receiving $600,000 or 40% of the company gross per pay-per-view event. I have, he says, I have no idea if those figures are even close. Although, if that figure is correct for WCW to equal its current profit level on pay-per-view events by adding a deal like this into the mix, it'd have to increase its buys for all three events uh, Hogan will appear on. Uh, so, there you go. WrestleMania shows, Survivor Series, Rumbles. That's where Hogan, you know, he's he's used to coming from those types of events. Uh, it's conceivable a first Flair Hogan match correctly promoted would do that type of business. It would be a lot more difficult to average that over three shows, though. Um, and and he goes on ag again with a lot more uh, interesting facts and tidbits here. But, uh, Arn, a lot going on here with Hogan. No other way to say it. This is big business for WCW. They're betting on Hulk. We know that wrestlers talk to each other, to reporters, their bosses, family, and friends. Was Do you remember any of the chit chat going on in the locker room about Hogan contract, anything that you can share around this time period. Well, no, just the kind of thoughts that I would think would be going through my mind being a, a guy that saw how you built a match and like a guy in a business that was, you know, working for a company. How do you build a match? How do you build a character? How do you build a, you know, a, a show for that matter? How do you do all that and do it the proper way? And and the wrestler in me that I had been taught up to that point is going, well, if you give them Flair and Hogan right away, how do you top that? Right. But I also understand that that's something that nobody expected to see. And you go, holy ghost, right out of the right. gate, yeah. Hogan, Flair. You know, so it was one of those things that you, you kind of just go, I know what I've been taught. I don't know what you do after that unless, you know, there's there's ways to do it. And, and none of those would involve Hogan winning. And I hear you. And listen, too, as a fan, that was the match the WWF never gave us when Flair was there. Yeah. So, so you still haven't seen it. Yeah. Right. You know, and I just, I would always see how if back when you had a pay-per-view every four months or something, how you built it yeah. and you build it slow and you give them a piece each week, just to, and another piece and another piece and you build it so that you leave the audience wanting more, not yes. less. I like it. We're going to put a bow on this contract discussion. Eric uh, Bischoff stated on 83 Weeks, his podcast, that ho he did state some of the numbers here. He ap appeared, um, he would appear on four pay-per-views for 400000 apiece. 400000 apiece for four pay-per-views, okay? So start to getting your calculator out. And he would participate in his merchandise revenue and pay-per-view revenue. So while the number is not 600,000 per event, 94, buddy, this is huge money for a pro wrestler, 400 grand a piece for four pay-per-views plus merch revenue, plus pay-per-view revenue. Not a bad get deal at the, at, at the end of the day for Hulk. Well, I'm interested. To, do you have the numbers on the, the merch deal? No, no, it's just, that's just overall, but I don't have the, I don't have that break because buddy that can catch you up quick. Can you imagine? 
It, it's, it's fair to say that until Austin hit it big a few years later, Hulk was probably the highest paid wrestler in the history of the business. Up until oh, yeah, of course. No doubt about it. They started with the merch when there was no merch. Yeah. Ice, ice creams, lunch boxes. Did you ever get end up on an ice cream bar that one year in WWF? I don't know that I ever had one. Yeah. Ain't that something, something else I missed out on. Man, as much as you enjoy a good meal, too, they couldn't get you on an ice cream bar. Oh, I'd have, I'd have loved to have one. I know, right? Oh. Yeah. We got a, a few fan questions uh, as we wrap up the Hulk Hogan signing. Jason Taylor, he has an awesome question you, for you concerning Hulk in this time period. He says, 1993 and most of 1994 was my favorite time in WCW. I enjoyed 97 a lot, but it wasn't as good as the 93-94 period before WCW became, I love this word, WWF light. Before Hogan arrived, what was Arn's opinion of Hulk coming in? Did he have any idea that the landscape would completely change and the type of wrestling presented would do a complete 180? Because before Hogan arrived, Jason says, I really thought Dustin Rhodes was going to become a world champion. Do you feel, did you feel Hogan coming in ended that any shot for Dustin Rhodes? Well, I just think it it tipped the structure of the business and where and where they were heading. Where you know, if they were Dustin was a guy that was very easily built because yeah. he, he was talented. But now you stack that up against okay, Hulk Hogan's coming in. You had to go, well, wait a minute. I thought they were going youth movement and this, just like Vince was doing new guys, new champions, you know, and, and all of a sudden, hmm. So, uh, I don't know. I, I was just kind of laying in the weeds and watching things develop. Be honest yeah. With you. yeah, it is a shame because, but you know, Bischoff, he's a businessman. He brings in Hogan. He brings in Savage. Those are names, names that pop ratings, uh, people are familiar with that are going to change the channel to see what are they doing there. Um, and that's certainly eventually what happened. Uh, so you understand that, but to your point, you think about the youth movement that you guys have going on, whether it was with Steve Austin and Dustin Rhodes and some of the guys that you were trying to build, it does kind of halt some of that momentum, you know, to Jason's point. Well, yeah, and I would imagine, and I'm not sure when, when did some of Hulk's buddies start trick, trickling in? Yeah, wasn't too far afterwards, for sure. You know, Brutus. The beefcakes, you know, yeah. and the nasty boys yeah. and all that. And, hey, I got no problem with Hulk looking after his friends. You know, yeah. there, was, there was plenty of room on the, uh, on the roster for, for those guys. But it gave your company a different look. It did. You know? If they get put more eyes on it. Ryan says is interested to know what was the locker room scuttlebutt about Hulk coming in. Several had already worked with him. Some never had. You did. Do you remember what the temperature was like in the locker room back in those days? No, because guys in those days, you didn't talk out loud, you know, because that would get back to the office right away. And it became, this guy's got a bad attitude. Da, 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 da. Uh, it's like our job was to show up and wrestle and perform, let them worry about who was going to be positioned around Hogan or what Hogan was going to be doing. So, so far above my pay scale, I just, it wasn't something I spent any time to, you know, thinking about because it was above my pay scale. Yeah. 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 The politics, none of my business. Again, it's back to that. Don't ask a guy what he made, you know, and don't ask me what I made. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's that same theory. Uh, he also asked if you were aware, and I kind of, I'm, I'm assuming I already know your answer here. Were you aware of Jesse Ventura's problems with Hulk, which reportedly resulted in Eric firing Jesse? Well, I, I heard there was a beef, but you never know before you start repeating what happened. You had to be there and know what happened, and I wasn't there, so I don't know. But I know there was a beef of some sort. 
we uh our brad stanton who by the way owns uh one of the awesome horseman jackets big supporter of the show he has a great question and he says do you think that hogan would have ever changed his character eventually which he ends up doing but at this point could you have ever seen him changing his character like he did uh i don't know I know that when he did switch it, it was so extreme. None of us saw it coming. There's not one soul in that locker room other than the inner circle that put that together and had all the pieces. You know, I, I never, you know, it's like when Tony, when they, when he came down to the ring, you know, Hulk Hogan's in the building. Tony's reminding you, damn right he is. <laughs> That's the way people felt. He was yeah. just, it was just a, a gimme, a no brainer. He was there to save the day. And boy, when it went the other way, all of us, and you're a liar if you say that you, and you didn't know beforehand, you were floored. But then too, you, all of you had to be like, wow, business just picked up because it took off for all of you. Right. And that's rising tides, you know, lifts all ships kind of thing. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it, now you got these bad guys, uh, and an unholy group they were, and you never expected Hogan who had, you know, vitamins and all that, all that pitch for all those years to suddenly 360 degrees go the other way. Yeah. It took a little bit to let that sink in. Yeah. Yeah. Hector Mesa wants to know, this is more around the reaction. He says, uh, what about sting and steamboat? They were two big baby faces. Any comments or anything? I know you said you stayed out of it, but there's all of a sudden now <coughs> the top of the card is a little bit more crowded. Well, I'm sure sting already had an incredible contract in place. He was untouchable, you know, and smart enough to know, you know, he had, he had a huge contract, huge marketing, you know, so he was set. Ricky, I'm not sure. I don't know that we had a conversation about that. I don't know. I think he was pretty confident in his own ability and who he was and who he had been. Um, it's like we never had that, you know, what do you think about that, Ricky? What do you think about Hogan sure, switching yeah. Hill? We never had that conversation. Yeah. Uh, Dylan looks at this from a little bit different perspective and he says, can you tell us Arn, about the first time you met Hulk Hogan and what was your initial impression of the Hulkster? Um, he was treated like a mega star with Vince. He had his own locker room. He didn't just dress with the boys and walk around and all that. His whole, everything about him, he was treated like Elvis and, and he should have, he should have been. You know, at that point where our business was concerned, he was, you know, this is pre-rock, pre, you know, pre-Austin, those guys. He was the biggest star in the business, and he was treated that way. Do you uh, remember the first time you met him, or did you shake your hand? Anything that you can recall? Uh, I don't, okay. and I should, but I don't. No, all good. Uh, Matt S will close out with this question with Hulk Hogan's arrival imminent and Arn working at the bottom of the card. Did you fear for your future? And if so, what was plan B? No, because you know, that all things being relative being first match, second match, first match after intermission, all I ever asked was just give me an opponent that I can have a good match with. Give me some time. I never worried about when I was on because it fluctuated so much. It wasn't like a, if you were a first match guy, the business has changed enough that you were just an underneath guy. You were just a guy on the, you might've been a top guy that went on first. True. That's yeah, true. And uh, some of the top guys now are having opening matches on pay-per-view. We're starting to get into that era. Uh, of things. Well, yeah. And the audience, you know, it was, it was, it was really cool when you would, you know, they're settling in, they don't know the order of the matches. And all of a sudden you got a two top guys coming out first match of the night and the audience would go, Holy smokes yeah. already. We're getting this. I mean, it, I, I, I agreed with it hundred percent. 
Matt's uh, question provides a nice segue, Arn, um, into what you were up to in the month of April. For most of this month, you're either working in tag matches with Ricky Steamboat or worked one-on-one in the opening match with either Brad Armstrong or Bobby Eaton on the house show loop. So it sounds like to me you're loving your life at this point when you talk about wrestling these guys. As far as having a good match and just enjoying being a wrestler, it doesn't get any better than that. You, uh, the pairing with Steamboat at this point was simple storytelling because you two at this point are supposed to be really very close with Ric Flair storytelling wise, but that you and Steamboat work together against these, listen to this group, Steve Kern and Bobby Eaton. And we have come to uh, find out on the show many times, your thoughts on Bobby, not just as a professional wrestler, but as a man, but Steve Kern, um, He's not a wrestler that we've talked about a whole lot on the show. He was one half of the fabulous ones with Stan Lane. Uh, he goes on to WWF to play Skinner, an alligator hunting heel from the Everglades. Uh, and then he also would become a wrestling trainer uh, in retirement. What can you tell us about working with Steve Kern? Pro. He's a pro top to top to bottom. Uh, he knew the business inside and out. That's the reason he was able to go from being the fabulous ones with him and Stan Lane, which were for the little girls, mm -hmm. to Skinner, which is, you know, about, <laughs> about as far a stretch as you can get. You know what I mean? Polar opposite, baby. <laughs> Polar opposites. And, and it's because he was such a great worker and he had, you know, such a uh, lengthy career that uh, – doing all these different things, you know, and, and getting to work with him and Bobby who made a good team as anybody on Bobby's, you know, standing in his corner is a great team. And, uh, yeah, I just enjoyed, uh, working with him. He, he was just a good performer. New Year's resolutions are hard, but saving money is easy with SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket, but if you've got credit card debt, you can get rid of it just like that and skip your next two house payments. That's right. No payments until April at SaveWithConrad.com. The team at Save With Conrad are routinely helping families just like yours save five, six, seven, even $800 a month. Find out how much money you can save for free at SaveWithConrad.com. MLS number 32416, equal housing lender, SaveWithConrad.com. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. You, uh, you, as I mentioned, you work singles matches also to open shows with, as I said, Brad Armstrong, Bobby Eaton, but you were talking about earlier, setting the tone for the night, getting, having that big match to start a card. And I'm telling either one of those appoint, uh, opponents aren't put on a hell of a show. And I'm sure that's what management was looking for out of either you and Bobby or you and Brad. Am I right? Well, and we're smart enough to do this, Paul. Here's the, here's the difference. We could have very easily went out there and fought all over the building and probably not, you know, had a word negative said to us. But our, we knew our job as the first match of the night was to have a first match match. And uh, that meant you could go out there and really perform and do all your good stuff, but you just didn't hit anybody with a chair. You didn't fight all over the building. You didn't do any crazy stuff. You just wrestled, but you wrestled at such a high level that it was a first match, but it wasn't a first match. Mm -hmm. And you know what I find is interesting here, Arn, at this point in time, you're working as the baby face and Brad Armstrong's working as the heel. What is wrong with that picture? That's, a, that's insane. <laughs> talking about role reversal. Talk about total opposites. I mean, come on. Wow. 
Yeah. It, uh, we, we've talked about Brad and Bobby on the show. We know that they're two of your favorites aren't. So of course we have a couple questions. Nick Lenz wants you to remind all of us just how good Brad Armstrong was in the ring at this point in time. Uh, when I say this, I mean this, there was nobody better. There was a lot of guys that had a bigger push that had more options that were used better. But if you just look at his work rate and how good he was, Brad was as good, especially in the babyface role. Mm. I would, I would have, you have to separate that out. Brad Armstrong is a babyface, was as good as anybody. And uh, but you preferred Brad Armstrong as opposed to the Candyman character. They tried. To oh God, yes, right. Yeah, the Candyman gimmick didn't work. Brad, yeah. Brad was not. Nothing was broke on Brad. You didn't have anything to fix. Just, you know, give him a little bit of interview time and give him some wins that nobody thought he should have went. I'd have put Brad Armstrong over around the world mm. every single night. That's, and that's been not respect right there, buddy. And honored to do it. That's great. That's great. That tells you, that tells you how much you respected uh, Brad Armstrong and his oh, ability. God. He was a hell of a lot better than me. Let me put it to you that way. Mm. Heather Whitley, uh, one of your, uh, one of our female contingent, one of our fans, she says, does Arn remember a favorite match with Bobby and Brad during this time? I mean, I'm sure they were all probably your favorite matches working with those two guys. I, you just answered it for me. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't a runt in the bunch. I can assure you that if there is one, find it and please let me look at it and I'll, I'll let you know what I think went wrong, but it wasn't because Brad made mistakes. It's fun. Uh, Thomas Danucci wraps up the question section here. He wants to know what did Arn think of Brad Armstrong wrestling as a heel masked Freebird associate named Bad Street, AKA Fantasia? Do you remember that at all? Yeah. It, it stunk. Yeah. And he says, what did Arn think of Brad's Arachnaman run? What was create? What were they doing back then? Reaching for just reaching for anything to to give Brad. I don't know. I mean, it's it seems like everyone was aware of how good he was, and and everybody was trying to give him something that would be other than just Brad Armstrong. But he didn't need to be anything other than Brad Armstrong. Would he be a guy though that maybe with a manager or in a group could have been just like you said, Brad Armstrong, and maybe if they were trying to figure something out for him, I don't know. I, I think he was he was good as a single wrestler. He was great. He just didn't have the mic skills to be a standalone top guy. Yeah, and there's a lot of people aren't. Right. You know, uh, that's not, you're right. Yep. You know, it's like, there's a lot of great performers that were just so, so on the mic. And I mean, a lot, you could, you know, some would shock you if I, if I said the list, because you went, well, you're right. He's not great on the mic or, well, he's a great performer, but wow, you're right. He's not a great talker, you know? And, uh, to have all those things, to have a good physique, to be a great talker, to be a great worker, you know, to have all those attributes suddenly made you a top guy, mm. you know. Uh, but you could have two of the three and still be a top guy. I just don't think Brad, you know, ever reached what he could have with the proper, you know, push. Push. Yep, I got you. Well, listen, while you're opening shows here in April with Bobby and Brad, Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat are revisiting their old rivalry that started in the Mid-Atlantic Territory on in the 70s. Uh, while their matches for the U.S. and Mid-Atlantic Tag Team Championships were amazing, most wrestling fans remember their uh, the two for their feud that took place in 89, which, uh, by the way, is revered. It's that trilogy of matches in the history of the business. And you're working in the WWF at this point. So I know you guys are there. Are you hearing about this? Do you see any of those matches with uh, with Rick and, and, and Ricky here in 89? You wouldn't talk about it 
I know this is going to sound a little funky, but you wouldn't talk about it in the locker room because it in some way kind of made you seem disloyal to the company you were working for. That makes sense. It does. Yeah. If you work for WWF, you're not going to talk about your watching WCW pay-per-view. You're not going to go. Yeah. Hey, everybody said they tore the house down. You just avoided it. Yeah. But you were familiar with what was going on. Oh yeah. I mean, in private flair and steamboat tore the joint down, but yeah, everything was with WWF. Everything was so you had no free time to do anything. Think, do anything. It's like travel, get to the town, bust your ass, travel some more, try to get to the hotel, get three or four hours sleep. It's like, it was such a, I mean, it was just really a difficult schedule. It sounds like such a grind. Like and it grind is the word. Yeah. And you didn't, you didn't have time to stop and evaluate anything else going on in the business because you were just trying to get to your hotel you don't know who's winning the Super Bowl. You don't know who's in the NBA Finals. You know none of that stuff, Arn. <laughs> yeah, I got one day off coming up of the three. I'll find out all the news when I get home. Oh, wow. Well, listen, they had that big-time trilogy in 89. Uh, you had that lambastic womanizer, the outlandish nature boy against the family man, uh, Ricky Steamboat. It was just a match made in heaven. Steamboat would best flare in Chicago at the Chi-Town Rumble. They'd meet again in New Orleans in April at the Clash. In a two-out-of-three falls match, Steamboat walks away uh, from the event position directly, by the way, against WrestleMania five as the champion. Flair defeats Steamboat in Nashville at the Music City Showdown in the third match, becoming the world champ for the sixth time. And here we are, fast-forward five years later, in WCW, they want to capture that magic one more time of that feud. And it starts with the two aligned as, as friends against Vader. And after Flair uh, bests Vader, Steamboat will continue to support Flair as his friend until he accidentally hits Steamboat with some friendly fire. And this altercation is what they use, Arn, to set up the main event match at Spring Stampede. So let's get into Spring Stampede here, Arn, as we close out the show this week. It takes place April 17th, 1994, at the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago. You had to love that venue. 12,200 people were there for, at the Rosemont Horizon. Some of the greatest fans in the world to this day. Mm. It was the largest paid gate since Great American Bash 1990 in Baltimore featuring Sting when he finally defeated Rick for the world title. Um, but the car is stacked from top to bottom. Big time event. The research guy can't recommend this pay-per-view enough. It's one of his favorites of all time. And uh, if you haven't watched it, go back and listen to it. It is also the second to last pay-per-view before Hogan arrives in the company. And our man, the enforcer, is not on the card. So, uh, Arn, do you have any idea or remember why you wouldn't have been on this card? And where was this? This is in Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, April 17th, 1994. Hmm. Don't know. All right. Well, let's hit the high points of the show. Uh, as we close it down this week, you got uh, in a Chicago street fight, the Nasties. The Nasty Boys are here. They defeat Cactus Jack and Max Payne. Meltzer describes this encounter as one of the wildest sickest, most brutal matches you'll ever see. So the match includes a pull cue, chair shots, an attempted pile driver on a table by Cactus to Jerry uh, to Sags, knob smashing Cactus in the face with a shovel, and Jack taking the nesty plunge off the stage in a subsequent pinfall. Meltzer concludes this write-up by calling it one of the bro most brutal matches of all time. He gave it four and a half stars. It's just a classic Cactus Nasty Boys match, man. No regard for their body or health. Yep. So we got that one down. Four and a half stars. Next match, listen to this card. Steve Austin defending the U.S. title against the great Muda. Should have been now, incredible. Should have been incredible, right? Yep, yep. So that match goes. Uh, Muda gets himself disqualified by throwing Austin over the top rope at the 16-minute mark. 
But uh, I, I know that you love working with both those guys. Uh, but overall, Meltzer impressed with that match. Then you have Sting defeating Rick Rude for the international world title. Another great matchup if you think about the stars at this time. Yep. Pretty heavy. Yep. Pretty, so, pretty uh, heavy booking. Keep it, going. It, keep getting, it, we're keep giving them to me. Yep. 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 Uh, so, so we have that moving on. Let's talk about something that eventually impacts you because Bunkhouse Buck, who we talked about a little while ago, uh, a few weeks ago, pins Dustin Rhodes just over 14 minutes and a bunkhouse match. This one was physical and violent, as you would expect from these two. And Bunkhouse got the win with the use of a loaded glove. Uh, as far as the part of the story, did you like the slow? I mean, we have here the slow build getting to you, teaming with Dustin, where Colonel Parker and Buck always seem to get the best of Dustin. Uh, but this match was awesome, and it continues that story that you'll find yourself in, by the way, as Dustin's tag team partner in June. Um, so we're going to get there with that. Arn up next, Vader defeating the boss, the former big boss man, by way of a moonsault at nine minutes, 17 seconds. So now you got your big boy match, yep. Vader and the big boss man. This card is delivering on so many fronts. So we, we move on from that match to the main event, which is Flair and Steamboat. And buddy, they wrestle to a 32-minute draw. When Steamboat locks in the double arm chicken wing, resulting in a double pin finish, uh, Meltzer would write this: the match had a slow build, picks up the pace. This wasn't as good as '89, it, and it wasn't unrealistic, uh, unrealistic to expect it to be. But now they are just two great wrestlers having an excellent match. Unfortunately, the evolution of the business is to more and more stuntman spots, splashes through tables topes, etc., and less psychology and mat work, which is the difference between an 89 state of the art match and a 94 match of the year. What do you, what do you think about those comments? That's what's wrong with the business. Everybody <laughs> just accepted that. Okay. We'll just fall out of the ceiling and that'll some way in some fashion be better than a great storytelling match and two great performers. Mm-hmm. You nailed it. And he wrote it right there. He said, this doesn't hold up to the 89 style of wrestling. I don't know if it's the style of wrestling, but what fans' expectations were started to change. And uh, you're starting to see some of uh, where well, we're at. And look at the body of the card. It was a solid card, but you also had two no DQ matches, if you think about it. Yeah. Cactus and the Nasty Boys, right? Yeah, and you had Bunkin. and then you had Muda and Steve Austin throwing over the top rope finish, and then you had the bunkhouse buck, which was a bunkhouse match, which yeah, I'm bunk sure yeah. that involved fighting on the floor. I'm sure and yeah. chairs and all that. So that that's the same match. Yeah, and then here you got the double pin finish with Flair and Steamboat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, he said, this is a soap opera. If there's no rematch, this was a weak finish. And most had the latter feeling after the match. After all this, this still is WCW with a tr tremendous track record to live down. And he gave the match four and a quarter stars. Um, they would end up wrestling in a rematch on Saturday night. But as Meltzer warned, the match didn't live up to the hype or pay off the program. Instead, Flair defeated Steamboat and moved on to Slamboree while Steamboat would be moved back to pair with Steve Austin. Um, and so that's how it changed. You got me. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we have a, a few quick questions on, and we'll wrap up this episode from our fans. Adam Krasnov wants your opinion. He said, it feels as though Flair's match with Steamboat in 94 is largely forgotten compared to their trilogy in 89. Would you agree? And if so, would you concur that this is mainly due to both working babyface at this point, and thus there was no real heat throughout the build to the match? Sounds plausible. Yeah. Yeah, could could very well be. Yes. Uh, a wrestling historian wants to know why you think Ricky Steamboat didn't get another world title reign. Thanks in advance. Hmm. He didn't have the right guy pushing him and pushing for him. Mm. Yeah. You're getting you're getting towards the end of Ricky's career, right? Yeah. I mean, and not only that, you're starting to shuffle in. You're working on Hulk Hogan's contract. 
lot of, yeah, I mean, the complexity of the business is changing. Sam Lawson says the Spring Stampede pay-per-view had Flair as the booker. It was a solid event, but that double pin at the end resulting in Flair retaining the title felt like a dusty finish to me. Do you believe that most pay-per-view title matches should have a clean finish to reward the folks who bought the event, or is there some value to having feuds continue the following week on free TV? I like winning with your best move. Your finish. Or pay-per-view. Yeah. Yep. 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 You got to pay up that extra money. You deserve to get a clean finish. Well, Arn, listen, that's going to wrap up our coverage of April 1994. And, uh, man, appreciate you doing this with me so much. Oh, this is a, Yeah, this is a watershed month for WCW as management pushed all in for Hogan and put uh, yet another pay-per-view on, uh, event on, resetting some creative along the way. Guys, I got to remind you here as we wrap up the show, if your business targets 25 to 54-year-old men, there's no better place to advertise than right here on The Arn Show. Uh, you can check it out, advertisewitharn.com now. Find out more how you can be a part of The Arn Show. We have a super targeted audience, and we'd love to publicize and mention your brand. We've done it with so many others. Spider Grip, David Britt, love his, his brand, and we can't wait to see how it takes off this year and so many others. So check it out, advertisewitharn.com and find out how you can be a part of the Arn Show. Arn, next week, we turn the show over to our fans for another edition of Ask Arn Almost Anything, and we have a ton of questions, buddy. I'm looking forward to it. Let's do it. All right. On behalf of the enforcer, Arn Anderson, this is Paul Bromwell, and we'll see you right back here next week on Arn. Hey, everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network on YouTube or wherever you listen.